Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. One of the things that we talked about um, is as in kingdom climate, if you've forgotten that message, you can get the card out there on the comm center and remind you of the 17 characteristics of kingdom climate. One of those is that we become patient with those in affliction. And uh, so I get to practice what I preach, and I'm asking you to help me. Uh, I'm going to try to ease back into this thing. We've got to slow down a little bit. We had already kind of, uh, the Lord had already given us a word that we needed to slow down a little bit. We've been pushing really hard for a long time. And uh, we needed to back off, and we already had that plan this year, and apparently God wanted to move the timetable up on us a little bit, and so uh, we're trying to do that. And so without losing passion, we're still going to slow down a little bit. And so I need you to help me pray that I can figure this out. I've got to slow down and quit stressing so much. Um, and so, and, and everybody thinks it's all about the vegetables, and it probably is a lot about vegetables, but it's... <coughs> And I now have capsules that have vegetables in them, and uh, uh, I don't know they work as well, but y'all don't tell me any different. Uh, but it really comes down to stress, and so I just need you to pray with me about that. We want to thank you so much for all the care and concern. You guys have reached out. Julie needed a personal secretary uh, for two or three days, and it was just ridiculous. But the food and the calls and the prayer, we really appreciate it. And uh, there were some scary moments in all of this, and I just believe that your prayers had some real impact and really moved the hand of God, so we're thankful for that. I also appreciate our pastoral staff that stepped up and is uh, helping me carry some of this weight, uh, Pastor Woody, for preaching last week. And this week, you get the best of the best, of course, which is my dad, and so my dad is going to come, and he's pulled out all the stops. He looks more the part. I should have taken his picture instead of my own. Uh, but uh, So would you welcome my dad, Bob Ely, as he comes to continue the Blacklist series. If you're going to preach on blacklist, I mean, you know. But I don't think I can do it in that hat or that coat, so. Well, lists are part of our lives. Lists that we write on paper. Lists that you put on your phone. Lists that you post to your fridge door. Lists that are key that help us to order or to keep our life on track. It keeps us oriented toward a final goal, a destiny. And so we're all acquainted with lists, to-do lists, honey-do lists. At my age, we have bucket lists. Uh, write a book. Visit Australia, the outback. I don't know why, but I want to. Go to Israel again. Uh, shoot my age in golf at least once. Play Pebble Beach or Augusta. We all have lists. And we all have lists that we want to be on. The no-call list. And I've signed up I don't know how many times and I still get the calls. But we want to be on the no-call list on our telephone. We want to be on who's who in, you fill in the blank. Who's who in America. The most likely to succeed list. 
the most athletic list. Well, some of us are never going to quite make that one. At one time, I was chosen to be on the Outstanding Young Men of America list. And I wondered why, and the purpose was they wanted to sell me a $50 book is what the whole purpose was about. But their list that we want to be on, their list that we don't want to be on. Uh, Blackwell's The Ten Worst Dressed List. You don't want to be on that list. And yet God has a list that we don't want to be on either. It's a black list. And his black list is listed in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. And that's uh, the scripture will be on the screen, but I want to read it like this. Here are six things God hates and one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, a troublemaker in the family. And then there's another version I want to read that says this. There are six things the Lord hates. There are seven things he cannot stand. A proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that kill innocent people. A mind that thinks up evil plans. Feet that are quick to do evil. A witness who lies. And one, someone who starts arguments among brothers or among the families. And so this list, the Bible says, God hates these things. And so first of all, we need to understand what it means when God hates anything. God hates these six things. It literally says God is set against these six things. He has a bitter disdain for them. They are an, a, 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 an aversion to everything that he is. So in other words, to say the least, he doesn't like them very much. He detests them. He is set against them. They are an aversion to what is good. And then he goes on to say, and yet there is a seventh or there is one more or it may mean all seven are an abomination to him. And that means he loathes them and hates them with a passion. They are detestable. They are repulsive to his soul. They are disgusting to him. Why? Because all these seven are a direct contradiction to who and to what he is. They are contrary to his nature. He is love. He is truth. He is righteousness. He is life. And all seven of these are in direct opposition to everything that he is and all that he stands for. And therefore, he cannot stand them. He detests them. He is repulsed by them. And he has an aversion to them. They are a loathsome, loathsome hate in his heart. He hates them with a passion. Now notice how they read. A proud look. Literally means an exalted eye. Being high and haughty and arrogant. A lying tongue. We talked about that last week. Tongue tangled. It literally means one who is habituated to the untruth. One who neither loves nor tells the truth. Hands that shed innocent blood. That takes or murders life. It literally means a lack of concern for the welfare of others when you're on a quest to fulfill yourself. Hands that shed innocent blood. 
when you're on a quest for yourself and you have no compassion, no concern for anyone that's in your path. Hands that shed innocent blood. A, a, a mind that devises wicked imagination. One whose hearts and minds are given over to sinful thoughts and filth. That's what it means in the Hebrew. One that thinks up evil plots and plans. An individual that fabricates evil and then he lays the foundation and after he's laid the foundation in his heart and mind, he builds the superstructure of iniquity and evil. And then it says, feet that are swift to run to mischief. One who seeks out evil and then gets involved in it. A false witness that speaks lies. One who lies even when he's under oath. When he's sworn to tell the truth, nothing but the truth and the whole truth. And yet even under an oath, he lies. He that sows discord among brethren. He that sends out strife among brothers. One who sets people at odds with one another. One who aggravates others. I really wanted to preach on that one. One who produces conflict among others. One that troubles and disrupts peace in the family, in the community, in the church. Whose lies and misreputations make men's minds evilly affected toward their brethren. And the Bible says that if you do these things, since they are contrary to who God is, to his very nature, then he hates them. He loathes them with a passion. Therefore, you become detestable to him. Those who do these things that are destructive to others, either in the family, in society, in the church, in their own life, are loathsome to God. Now, I want you to notice something. What this life really, this list really describes is the totality of life. Did you notice that? This list takes every one of the components that makes up our life. Notice what it says. Eyes, tongues, hands, what you do, feet, where you go, your mind, your heart, your emotions. Every aspect and component of our life is listed in this blacklist. And what we see, what we speak, what we do, where we go, what we think, and the attitude that we give to others are listed in this list. And so what this blacklist does, it describes a life that is either controlled by self, by sin, or by Satan. Or it describes a life that is controlled by the Savior, by salvation, by the Spirit, and we could add one more, by a scripture. Because if your life is controlled by self, by sin, by Satan, then your acts mirror that. And what you see, how you look down at others, how you're filled with selfish pride and condensation to others, where you condescend and look down in arrogance on everyone else, what your tongue says, what your hands do, what your mind thinks, where your feet go, the attitude of your heart is then controlled by those things that God hates, those things that are sinful, those things that are selfish, and those things that are directly linked to Satan. Or, you don't have to be on the blacklist. 
You can have a life not controlled that way, but been controlled by the Savior because you know him. Because you've experienced salvation and you've become a new creation in Christ Jesus and all the old things have passed away and you have become new. All the old is gone and the new has come and you've been transformed by a saving grace. And then you're under the control of a spirit. It is the spirit that lives within you and empowers you and your life becomes controlled by the scripture. And when that happens, you find yourself not controlled by the blacklist, but controlled by God's list. And notice his list in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 and 19. He said, you that know the Savior, you that have been saved, you that are spirit-filled, you that are now walking in the light of God's word, put on the whole armor of God. You're clothed different. And he says, you have your loins girt about with truth so that all the issues of your life are truthful. They're not deceitful. Everything that flows out of you, out of your loins, every issue of your life is not lies, but it's truth. And then he goes on to say that you have on the breastplate of righteousness so that your heart is in right relationship with God. And not only in right relationship with God, but in right relationship with others. And all of the desires and the imagination of your heart are covered by right standing with God. Man, it's quiet in here. He says, your feet are shed with the proper uh, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Where you go, all of your actions are covered by salvation by that gospel that's transformed your life and made you a new creation in him. You have the shield of faith on your left hand that wards off all the attacks of the devil and you have the sword of God's spirit which is the word of God in your right hand. And most of all, you have on the helmet of salvation in every aspect of your life, your mind, your heart, your feet, your hands are no longer controlled by the blacklist but they're controlled by God's list. And the result is totally different. What what God describes in Proverbs that he hates to the person whose life is controlled by the Savior who has been saved and filled with the Spirit and walking in light of the Scripture, the result is this, Galatians 5, 22-26. You have love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance and self-control. You have been crucified with Christ. The affections and the lust of your life have been nailed to the cross. We live in the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit and we're in sync with what God's want and we're not desirous of vainglory. We don't provoke one another. We don't envy one another because the fruit of our life is now controlled by our Savior, by the Holy Spirit, by God's Word. And so... My point is to come to you today and talk to you about heavy-handedness. The list said, hands that shed innocent blood. Well, what he's really talking about is what we call heavy-handedness. Now, literally you need to understand that when he talks about hands that shed innocent blood, he's talking about murder. Those who would go out and physically murder innocent people. Now, You need to understand that sometimes in our Western culture, we don't always get all the commandments just right. We say, thou shalt not kill. And yet if you study the Old Testament, you know that the penalty of certain sins was what? 
Okay. If you murdered, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. If you blasphemed against God, spoke evil against God, penalty's death. If you committed adultery, penalty was death. If you turned to idolatry, the penalty was death. So the commandment doesn't say thou shalt not kill. It says you shall not murder. You shall not go out with the intent to destroy that which is innocent. Oh, okay. You're looking at I don't have time to go, go into all that. That's the theological part of this that I don't have time to preach today. But in the Old Testament, you see it. Cain rose up in anger and killed his brother Abel. His hand shed his act. Your hand is the extension of what you do. Your hand either comes to someone as a fist to hit and to hurt. Or you walk with people with an open hand to extend help and healing. And what the Bible is against is you walking to people with a clenched fist to hurt the innocents, to shed innocent blood as Cain did against Abel. And we could go on the story of Joab and Abner. and Why did Solomon write this? Because he's the son of David. And he watched what happened in David's kingdom. And Joab, his, David's trusted general, killed another general by the name of Abner. And Abner was innocent. And Joab deceived him and reached out to hug him. And with his hand, reached in and took a knife and plunged it. And, and David said, that blood will not be upon my house. He has shed the blood of an innocent man. And Solomon remembered that and said, God hates those who walk to others with clenched fists, with the desire to destroy their life and to take the blood of innocence. So it was physical. And you say, well, <laughs> I could go to the New Testament and talk about Herod. When the wise men went home another way, what did he do? Destroyed the babes in Bethlehem two years. He's killing innocent blood, right? Brother Bob, that has nothing to do with us in 2015. Oh, really? Well, what about the Holocaust? What about cleansings of ethnic groups? What about Christian martyrs? What about spousal abuse and child abuse? <laughs> People that come to shed the blood of innocence. And if I really wanted to get down where do we live, what about abortion? Roe versus Wade, 1973. And from that day to this in America alone, 56 plus million innocents that have been destroyed. What could they have been? What presidents could we have had? What scientists that could have discovered the cure of cancer? What leaders and musicians and artists could be alive today but our hands shed the blood of innocence. In Missouri alone, 918 black babies have been aborted since the tragic death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. From that day to this, 918 black children have been aborted in Missouri and there's nobody on the street and there's no voice crying out for the destruction of a generation. Where's our voice? God detests hands that shed innocent blood. It's not enough that we are against it. 
But we have to come not with the clenched fist to hit, but the open hand to help and to heal so that we can provide the place of shelter for abuse, so that we can provide the home where pregnant girls can come to know Jesus and not abort babies, but put them up for... I'm preaching better than you're shouting, so... But it means something else. God detests heavy-handed people. People with heavy-handedness. You know what the word means. It's like a judge who is harsh and severe and every criminal that comes before him, he is heavy-handed in his decision. A boss who is heavy-handed with his employees that are that stringent and harsh. Someone who abuses and misuses his power. The husband who abuses his wife. Heavy-handed. The father who is severe and harsh in his discipline and turns the hearts of his children away from him because he meets them not with a healing, helping hand, but a heavy hand. Whoa. Well, that's what he's talking about. Because practically, either we will have hands that hurt, that hit, that strike out, that show no compassion and concern for others, but only for ourselves. And when that happens, we'll see it in our works. We'll do anything necessary if we're heavy-handed. If we have hands that shed innocent blood, we'll do anything that's necessary to obtain what we want, to get the position that we think we deserve. Oh. When we're on the quest for self, then it shows up that we have no compassion for others, so we will step on others. We'll climb over others. We'll lie, cheat, deceive as long as we obtain. Are you with me? This is what God hates, and we see it all the time. But it's not only in words, uh, in works, but in words. Heavy-handedness in works is bad enough. But heavy-handedness, hands that kill innocent and shed innocent blood, in words are even worse. And we see that all the time. In the Old Testament, if you murdered, you died. But if you blasphemed, if you spoke evil against or of God, you immediately died. And yet those that are controlled by the blacklist, they kill with their words. They are linked, as Steve said last week and through Woody, to Lucifer. Because how does a serpent kill? With his mouth. He poisons. Oh, come on. He poisons with his mouth. He's the father of lies. And if we're not careful, our hands, our works, and our words will shed innocent blood. And we will be not the savor of life unto life but of death unto death. Because listen, when you speak a word that destroys somebody's reputation, when you speak a word that attacks and destroys somebody's character, you've just killed. You've killed something you can never bring back. You have shed the blood of, oh, Brother Bob, it's true. But when you use truth as a weapon, the Bible tells us to speak love Speak truth, but we do it in love. And when you use a word to harm, to destroy, and that's your purpose and your motive, you have 
become part of the blacklist and you have shed the blood of an innocent. It's the same in our families. Who's the whiner and the complainer in your family? Oh, don't smile. You know. I read a story last night on the internet. And the guy said he went to his friend's house and he decided he was going to do something good and he knew the father liked ribs. So he told his friend, I'm going to go buy my dad some ribs. I'm going to buy your dad some ribs. And you know what the boy told him? He won't like them. The moment you bring them, I'm going to tell you what he's going to say. He's going to take two bites of that rib and then he's going to say, these are not nearly as good as the ones I used to have at this place I used to go to. And in vivid detail, he's going to whine and complain that they can't measure up to the ones that he used to have. And the guy said, oh no, he'll like these. He said, sure enough, two bites. And the dad started, you know, he's not nearly as good as the ones I eat. Who, who is that in your family? Because your words... There's power of life and death in the tongue. And they either kill or they heal. They abuse or they bless by the words that we say. And that's what he's saying is that you have to be careful lest your works and your words kill. Stupid. Dumb. Ugly. Fat, loser, never amount to anything. Can't wait till you get out of this house. No other man would ever even look at you. Oh, but honey, I'm sorry. I, 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 I didn't mean it. I, I, I take it back. I, I want you to forgive me. Uh, I'll never say it again. It won't ever happen anymore. We, we, we can... Can, can you? No matter how hard you try, no matter how many times you repent, or how many tears you shed over it, you can't take the wrinkle out of it. Oh, you may not remember, but I vividly remember the first word that I spoke to my wife and I saw that look and that tear. I vividly remember. I vividly remember with words talking to my son until finally in tears he said, Dad, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I remember just the other day not listening to my precious granddaughter talking over what she's trying to say until finally the look in her eye and she said, Oh, Papa. See, when you're on the blacklist with your words and your works, you hurt. But what this is about is that if you're controlled by the Savior, if you're controlled by salvation, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're walking in the truth of the Scripture, then everything changes. 
And instead of heavy-handedness, hands that hurt and hit, you have hands that heal and hands that help. And you do that by extending good works. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all of your might. The Bible says, uh, whatsoever you do in word and deed, do it in the name of Jesus. Whatever things you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Make your works count to touch others. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, Jesus said. And First Peter, he said, live honest among the, those that are unbelievers that by your good works that they behold, they will glorify God. Your whole works change. I come with a healing hand and a helping hand. Isn't that true about Dorcas? Remember the story in the book of Acts? Dorcas, Tabitha, and she's dead. But she's, her deathbed is surrounded by people. And they're all holding up her works. The aprons that she made, the clothes that she showed, the hospitality that she gave. She is surrounded by the good works. And it brought life not only to them, but Peter comes and brings life back to her. And so your hand became, and your words. The Bible has a lot to say that we, can't, we don't have time about the good words. Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupt communication, bad word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Let your words build one another up instead of tear one another down that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, uh, we, we put away all of these with malice and be a kind, tender-hearted one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Walk in love. Put away all filthiness and foolish talking and jesting, which is not convenient, but rather giving thanks and speaking good words. And the Bible says we provoke one another. And we do. But it says provoke one another to love. Stir one another up to love and to good works. Encourage one another, which means to give one another heart, to give them help, to give them healing, to encourage them and propel them to go forward, not to be destroyed. And so it comes down to this. Which list are you on? On the one that God hates, that is an abomination, that your hands are heavy-handed, hands that hurt, or the hands that help and heal. What about your words? Are you extending God's grace? Do you approach your brothers and your sisters and your family with a closed fist or an open hand? Well, it depends on who you're controlled by. God blesses us so we can be so not, not so we can become selfish selfish consumers, but so we can become selfless channels of His blessings to others. Who are you controlled by? Because I close by saying this: Paul says it distinctly and explicitly in Romans: a man becomes a slave and a servant to whomever he yields his members to obey. He either yields them of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So if I take my members, my eyes, my tongue, my hands, my feet, my heart, and I'm on the blacklist, then they're controlled by sin and Satan, and they lead to death. But if I put all of them in the control of my Savior, 
in the control of his salvation, in the control of the Spirit, led and directed by his Scripture, then I become a servant of righteousness and my works and my words heal and they help. George Washington Carver said it like this, how far you go in life depends on being tender with the young, compassionate with the age, sympathetic with the striving and the struggling, and tolerant toward the weak and the strong because someday in your life you will have been all of these yourself. I guess the best story I've ever heard is the old story about the Cherokee Indian talking to his grandson. And he said, son, there, are, there is a fight going on in my heart. And in this fight, there are two wolves. And one wolf is evil and bad. One wolf is resentment and anger. One wolf is arrogance and pride. One wolf is sin and sorrow. And the other wolf is good. And that wolf is compassion and love and faith and kindness and healing and joy and peace. And that battle's going on. And the little boy thought about that and said, Father, which wolf wins? And the grandfather looked at his grandson and said, the one you feed. So who are you controlled by? Who's controlling your works and your words? Are you heavy-handed? Are you controlled not by sin and Satan? by the Savior by His saving grace by the power of His Holy Spirit walking according to His Scripture will you extend a heavy hand or do you approach one another with an open hand that says help heal with a work that changes and a word that speaks life and blessing. You're the best. You're his child. You're loved. Knowing all these things, you're more than a conqueror. You're a winner. You can do all things through Christ. Stand with me right now. Lord, we don't want to be on your blacklist things that you hate and detest that are exact opposite of who you are we want to be controlled by you Jesus by your saving grace by the power of your Holy Spirit walking in accordance to your scripture and your word dress us this morning put on the helmet of salvation a breastplate of righteousness. Gird our lawns with truth. Shot our feet with your gospel. Give us the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. And let us always pray with all prayer and supplication in the power of your Holy Spirit. So that our lives, our eyes, our tongue, our hands, our heart, our feet will be pleasing to you. While we're heads bowed for just one moment.
who's controlling you. Which list are you on? Are you covered with his armor? Are you heavy-handed or helping-handed? Are you shedding innocent blood? Are you building people up? Are you filled with the Spirit, walking in the power of His Scripture and His saving grace? Are you linked to Lucifer? I, I know we've already had one altar call, but, but I just wonder right now if the Holy Spirit may be speaking to someone and you say, I need to relinquish the control of my life to the Savior. I need to relinquish the control of my works and my words to the Holy Spirit and live according to his word and his scripture. And I just want you to pray for me. That right now today, right now today, I would feed the right source in my life. I want Jesus to win. I want him to change my works and my words from hurt to help. You just slip up your hand and say, pray for me. Amen. 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 Yes, yes. Now, now, if you wouldn't mind, would you just keep them raised for a moment? And somebody's close by you, going through the same struggles you are. But they're coming to lay hands, helping hands, healing hands on you. So that you won't be on the blacklist, but you'll be on the changed list. They're going to move right now out of their seats, and they're going to surround you and lay their hands on you. Would you do it right now? Move to somebody whose hand's raised. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we all come to you, but we come to these in particular that have raised their hands, bold enough to say that they want helping hands and healing hands and not hitting and hurting hands, that they want to be on your list, covered with your armor, the gifts and the fruits of your spirit flowing through their life, living according to your word. And so I bless them right now in the name of Jesus. Help them to connect with you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, help them to connect with your spirit, with your saving grace, with the power of your word. Let, it, let your word, let your scripture be like a, a sharp two-edged sword in their life. Give them a shield to resist the attack of the enemy and a sword to put away every onslaught of the devil. And when they leave here today, connected to you, their hand will be open and extended to help with good works and to heal with good words. I bring them to you right now. And I ask not only for them, but that you would do it for all of us as well. In the name of Jesus. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.